0: Welcome to Below the Line, where we talk about working in Hollywood from the crew perspective. My name is Skid. I'm a former assistant director and your host. Today we're talking about Grownish, the freeform sitcom currently in its fifth season. And my guest is the Emmy nominated director of photography, Mark Duren-Powell. Mark, welcome to Below the Line. Hey, how are you doing? Thanks, Thanks for having me on. Glad to have you on the show, Mark. Uh, first, a quick warning for listeners: today's conversation may contain spoilers for the show. So, Gronish is a spinoff. For folks who might not know, there was a Blackish, and now we're following their kids. Talk to me about what carries over or how the two sitcoms interrelate.
1: Obviously, some of the characters will carry over. Like both shows have Dion Cole, who is our Charlie Telfy, one of our school administrators, and he's hilarious. I just love working with him; it makes everyone laugh every day. He's there, um, but. The show, you know, there. what's wonderful about it is if you, when I first came on, I saw that all the scripts that were coming down, they were growing, the characters were growing and changing and exploring things in school, and college. Because this, Grodish follows Zoe Johnson first as she attends college. And so now she's got to live outside of the nest and, you know, deal with all the drugs, the sex, all the relationships, all the challenges in college, uh, more adulting and so on. And you know also her whole group of friends that that form around her, you just knew that it had to grow and change, and so what I like about it is if you think of blackish, it's from the parents' point of view, sort of you know, and our show is from the kids' point of view right they attend college even we did an episode that went back home one time, and we used their sets, their lights, everything and but we made it look like our world and I think that's so fun like if you watch blackish, you're can to see it from the parents' point of view, and you watch grownish, even when they go home, it's like coming home from college the first time, right? Like you come home and you don't even see your home the same way that you did when you left the year before. And it's that kind of premise for the, for the look to, uh, to expand and, and grow a little bit.
0: Well, no, as the director of photography, I'm, I'm fascinated to hear more about what you're doing visually to show that difference between the parents' point of view from the original series to the college-age kids in this series.
1: I did a couple of things. I, I wanted to have it be a little slicker and sort of like both glossy and maybe kind of velvety. Like the image feels kind of velvety and softer. I, I wanted to play with that a lot. We use a lot of atmosphere in the club scenes and so on, which is normal, right? If you're in a bar or somewhere. And I I just didn't want to. I didn't want to overlight it really broadly. Like just you know, let's put on our comedy hat and light it really really strong from the front. I wanted to feel more grounded. And sort of cooler you know we have sort of by now jokingly refer to aspirational the series aspirational like our look is always like what would someone want if you were in school you know like if it's cool then make it something cool we have plenty of scenes where it might be a little lonely or or sad for a moment and sure that you can reflect those moments uh as well visually so yeah so the the story and the characters will definitely drive our look more that way because we are kind of I don't know, I, I think it's more grounded and naturalistic in that way, you know? Uh, and of course it's not like, oh, I'm gonna light it all like a documentary, like we take great license everywhere to infuse it with a mood and the lighting and we have plenty of camera movement. We have plenty of coverage that we try to get. So, uh, you know, weekly style meetings where we talk about tone and style and we really try to keep that up. That's usually, that was led mostly by Jamie Nelson, one of our editors, and uh, and last season by Jennifer Taylor, one of our main editors who are both amazing. And they, and they would actually lead it from the from the editing side is where that was really being worked on so that we could always give them the coverage and the pieces they need to build the world that they wanna build.
0: You know, I haven't heard a lot of that sort of collaboration between a director of photography, running the cameras and the lighting team on set and the editing. Could you talk more about how that came together? Has, has that been typical in your career and you're just talking about it or is it unusual to have that kind of connection?
1: I think it's unusual. I mean, it's normal for me because I'm super, super involved in post. I love staying in touch with them. I love communicating with with post. So I'm, I like that part. I like knowing what they're doing, what they need, and so on. But on Gronish is definitely the first time where we had. I mean, gotta realize Jamie Nelson. She's also one of the co-producers on the show. She's, you know, Kenya Barris's right hand. Like she's editing, finished his feature that uh, that he did recently. So, I mean, she was, you know, she was handed that as a way to manage it before I was even there. And it was fantastic um, because, you know, we don't we, we try to be efficient. We don't spend a lot of, you know, we don't spend 10 days per episode. Seasons two and three were four day episodes. No wow. you would have five days. Yeah. And yeah, that's really tight. It's very tight. So you have to approach it with a certain level of efficiency and having a plan, even though you could probably be like, oh, let's just do a one right here. We'll walk away. Like, no, you need some coverage as well. It might play as a oneer or almost a oneer, but pieces here so they can craft the the feel that they want. It's often an ensemble cast. So you have six, seven people in the scene sometimes. And that requires coverage because you want to find the best pieces of each one of those. So uh, Gronisch was definitely unique that way and very ambitious. I mean, I joked. I mean, I had to push back a little bit because we just didn't have time. You know, like they would say, hey, do a really cool oneer." And lots of headroom and ceiling and everything. And then, okay, and then give us coverage too. And and I'm like, well, you're basically asking us to shoot the scene, like really cover it twice in a way. (laughs) Like we'll work so hard on this one, which is awesome. And we can give you one more piece there that you can cross takes with. But if then you want to go in and also do traditional coverage, now you really are kind of doing it twice. And then you're looking at your watch going, do we have time? And and we do, do it that way sometimes. But it's sometimes you really have to, you know, push back a little bit and be like, I, don't know if we have time that afternoon to do all this, but we'll try. (laughs) So it's cool though. It was definitely helpful to keep talking about it with new directors and keep reviewing it and keep it evolve. We didn't always do in season four, what we did in season two and so on, you know, like things would change a little bit. So it was very collaborative and awesome that way and very supportive Uh, from Julie Bean, our showrunner, Greg Doyle, Jennifer Rice-Kensick Henry, who was also our director, on both episodes that I was nominated for, she's amazing, super prepared. So everybody just knows this world we're in and what we're trying to do, even on a limited time frame.
0: Mark, let's do a deeper dive into the episode that earned you your Emmy nomination this year. For folks who haven't seen it, you can find all of Gronish on Hulu. Specifically, we're talking about episode six in season four, titled Put Your Hands Where My Eyes Could See. Mark, how is this episode different from others in the series?
1: This episode, it's different tonally. It's a two-parter, actually. The previous episode, you learn that two unarmed, innocent Black men were killed. And that leads to these protests, which starts the episode that we're talking about right now. Uh, so it's, it's a tonal shift. Like, you know, we're not doing any light fare now. We're in a protest, and it's serious. But the show is actually no stranger to that either. Um, and neither is Blackish. They've touched upon subjects that are serious as well. And I've been asked this a lot. Um, and I, it, it took me a while to really, I kept thinking we were doing something that was helping that and which I'm sure we are. But I think also, I think the audience is used to this. I think in our daily lives, everyone, this is, these are things that are real to us. And I think this younger audience doesn't flinch at all at suddenly talking about this topic. It's what they experience, it's what they live. You know, they've been to protests. So in that case, it really is the tone. We didn't change the look drastically. Our director Jennifer Rice Kinsley Henry did not want to make this like a you know like a special episode of Gronish. Obviously, there's going to be some differences. Now you're doing some protest scenes and so on. We had some other challenges like uh, the time progression throughout the episode, but um, it is still grounded in our look, which is kind of naturalistic anyways. And we have sort of you know we infuse it with a little bit of photojournalistic realism at the end when we see the final protest scene. So I can talk about that more, too. But basically, it's the tone that's really different from the other episodes.
0: Now, these protest scenes, as you mentioned, there's three, and they're filmed differently. And I'd like you to talk more about the thought process and the decisions you made.
1: It's the same protest throughout that day, but we see it three different times. The first one's on the campus, and it's sort of safe and idyllic. And, you know, you get the sense like, oh, we're protesting, we're doing something, we got this then the, you know, the police is there and they impose a curfew. And you get sort of like your last hint of comedy there with like, you know, I'm out, I'm hungry, you know, I haven't eaten all day and I don't like rubber bullets and the gang spits up. You know, our friends all go different ways that day. And that's kind of how that episode starts. And then the second protest is sort of the sunset protest, which we, if we had our druthers, we would have done that maybe even later, like during dusk, but there's just too much work to do there. We had our, because that was also when we did our night exteriors. So we pulled it back to sunset a little bit. It still works. You want to buy that the curfew is imposed late in that day, kind of. And then the last time you see the protest is sort of the aftermath at night near the end of the episode. And uh, we definitely took a, uh, a cue from some of the um, the photographs that we, that we saw from the George Floyd protest. There was one in, in the Minneapolis protest by Julio Cortez. In the ending, you saw the bicyclist that goes across the, the burning police cruiser. And that was an image that we saw in those protests. It was captured by a handful of journalists, but that's the one that I had in my head. You know, that's the one Jenny really wanted to emulate as it crosses through. And it's a, like you had this sense of like this sort of like elegance amongst the chaos is the feel that we had at the end with the look being a little more grittier. I think it was appropriate to have those move that way. You know, you have the second protest is when the violence starts and then the third one you see the aftermath and so I think it, it, it works you know you're not going to make that look uh, glossy so in that's in that sense some of our some of our images follow obviously the, the story and the tone that way.
0: Now the other thing you alluded to is the passage of time between these um, protest scenes and there's also some uh, cutaways back at the apartment as well. and so give me a sense of what you do visually to make that sense of time work.:
1: Yes, so we do that. Normally on all episodes, I'll try to find a good excuse always to do something other than day and night. So I'll try to find the scenes that could be dusky or or sunrisey. If an alarm clock's going off and you're going to school, and so I always ask every scene we do, I always check with our script supervisor Devin and just make sure was there any change in the in the time of day. And so we do it anyways. And the same thing applies here. There is a definite you know you have the daytime protest. Then you have the sunset protest and we use the interior scenes where you have Nomi and Zoe and Jazz hanging out, talking about the protests. We sort of like round out the transition of time there. So we're, we're doing it there as well and making it a little moodier and, you know, they're not having the best discussion there. They're kind of going head to head at home about some issues. So, yeah, I think that really helped us is the interiors. You know, they helped really make it flow from day and sunset, dusk, night. Uh, and I think I think that worked pretty well, given that we did the the second protest at sunset.
0: Now, Mark, tell me a little bit more about your team. Have you had the same group of folks working with you from season to season, or has there been a lot of turnover there?
1: From my team, um, it's been a lot of the same people. Certainly from Mike Afford Jay Yowler, he's just amazing. I mean, what a partner in crime he is. He's just wonderful to work with, so creative. You know our key grip, Paul Schmidt, those two guys, you you just can't. You know, nothing really riles them up. It's like, no matter what challenges they're their way, they're going to they're gonna deal with it and make it work. And, you know, I've had, like, Lida Wong, our UPM, and our also one of the producers, she's amazing. I mean, she solves so many of our, our production challenges in a way that really serves the story. She really, really finds great answers that way. If we can't go out on location, let's say we want to go out, but we can't really fit anything else on that day, well, how do we do it over here then? And maybe Criston Andrews, our production designer, she'll build something over here now, and we'll, you know, they'll make it work. And it always serves the story. And I can't think of a time when we punted and hit a moving target where we ended up with something worse. Like you think it's a panic, and you think, oh man, we lost that location; we can't go there. What are we going to do now? Then you show up, and Criston has made this airport lounge at San Francisco Airport, and she's done it in the legal building at Disney <laughs> in the lobby, <laughs> and it, it looked amazing. Uh, it's just like one of the best sets we had. It completely threw that thing together. It looks, you would never know. So I love that kind of stuff. You never feel like you're going to walk in and be like, oh boy, we kind of punted on this one. You know, you, you, you realize you do you a touchdown, you know.
0: And I'm curious about the show and that it has gone to five seasons because it's interesting. The idea of college almost locked yourself in on a four season, you know, while uh, Zoe is there in college. But now the show, she's graduated and Zoe's younger brother, Jr. is the star of the fifth season. I'm curious if they're involved anything different from a visual perspective in that transition from season four to five.
1: The sets all changed, right? We have different dorm areas now and so forth, and that will change our lighting a little bit. We'll adjust to what's there. But overall, we didn't change our our look. I had to also deliver an HDR version, uh, high dynamic range version, which is going to be normal soon. It's what you would see on your iPad. So that took a little bit of work to make the palettes uh, work together in both versions, the HDR and the regular standard version. So that was interesting to solve. But other than that, we really always aim to uh, to have the same sort of world that we're in.
0: Mark, as you mentioned, you're very interested in what's going on in post-production as well. You talked about your collaboration with the editor. Talk to me more about that process and who you might work with.
1: Another person that I, I really work closely with is our final colorist, Gareth Cook. He's, uh, he works at a foundation post, which is not far away from our, our stages. He's such a talented colorist, and we work very closely together. I, I review all the shows. I try to go in when I can, or I do them remotely in a room they have set up for me. He's so integral to this. I mean, there's been times when we've had to, you know, they might recut an episode a little bit, or you want to make something look more like a flashback, and we'll apply a look to it. Or our freeze frames, like if you watch the end of each act, it's usually always like a freeze frame. And we developed that from season one and season two. In season two, we developed that a little further where we wanted to be more sort of flattering and not as contrasty and not just make it like a a contrast knob increase, which is sort of what it was in the beginning. We, We call it the dry look that he developed. We just kept working on it over a few weeks and it's never changed. It's like every one of those freeze frames from I think maybe two thirds of the way through season two onward, we went that route and they're just, they're just wonderful. I, I could watch an episode just to watch that applied during those freezes. So I, I got a, a lot of kudos for him for, for carrying this through. And, and you know, always uh, he's very fast. We get done on time with our color sessions, but he gives it a lot of care. And I, I love that.
0: You know, Mark, I don't think I've ever had a colorist on the show, and probably I should invite one on to talk about that. For audience members who might not be familiar, give us some more of a sense of what this color process is after you've already filmed it.
1: Yeah. So when you do any project, even if you've very carefully controlled the look on set, which most of us do now, when it cuts together, it may get reshuffled a little bit. There may be a different passage of time. Scenes that you thought went in this order get shuffled a little bit. Now that one's later. And so you want to tweak it a little bit in terms of the time of day progression, let's say. There may be other things that you want to do in color correction to get the look that you want to arrive at. And a final colorist is sort of like a sound mixer, let's say. You know, when you go through your your final mix and so on, your sweetening stage, as they call it, your, your colorist really makes sure that everything cuts together smoothly, that there's like a, a nice passage of time when it all gets cut together. You just give it some continuity. And that's that's not new. We used to call them color timers back in the days of film and making prints for theaters. But uh, Gareth is definitely uh, a fantastic uh, veteran. I've known him a long time and he's, uh, he's incredibly important
0: to the show. So in terms of airing, the show is currently in a mid-season break for season five. Do you know what's next? Are we going to continue following Junior for future seasons? I hope so. (laughs) I hope that we do another season. I think it's pretty awesome that, I mean, this is not
1: easy to do. Think about, you've got Yara Shahidi, who just is so amazing. Then you've got to fill those shoes, which Marcus did amazingly. I mean, and they're such a good team. When you see this cast together, they're so supportive of one another. Such a great group. It really is something. So I hope that they do more. I think there's more stories that we can tell. So, yeah, I, I, I hope so. So we'll see.
0: Well, good luck with that, Mark. I hope the season finishes up strong and uh, we're seeing more of that. On that note, we're going to call it a wrap. It was great having you on the show. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Listeners, I always appreciate your feedback. You'll find my contact info at our website, blowtheline.biz. That's B-I-Z. you also find past episodes and links to all of our social media. So check it out. Mark, besides Gronish, where else are we going to see your work?
1: Recently I did, I finished uh, You Keepo, um, directed by Kenya Barris. It's a, a feature that he did last fall. You know, Eddie Murphy, Julia louis dreyfus Leah Perlman, Jonah Hill, David Duchovny, Nia Long. I worked with our Uncle Buck as well. Uh, Emily Arluck was, was our me on Gronish. So just this amazing cast that Kenya put together. I'm not sure about the release date, but it's, it's finishing soon, so I can't wait to see that
0: thanks for the early notice. We'll keep an eye out for it. My closing credits, thanks to Curtis V for our music, John Juan for our logo, and to all of our listeners, I appreciate you. Please rate us wherever you get your podcasts and tell your friends. Thanks again from below the line.